I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 447 for March 9th, 2015. On today's show, drummer Reggie Quinterly. Did you know that you can become a member for five bucks a month? It gets you MP3s and other exclusive content and goes directly toward keeping the Jazz Session online so you have access to every episode, including the extensive archives. It is not inexpensive to keep 447 hour-plus-long shows on somebody's server. So if you like having access to those shows, if you like being able to go back and listen to shows you might have missed, and if you would like other people to have access to this archive of interviews, please consider becoming a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. If you get this show via iTunes, as many people do, I'd love it if you would rate and review the show. That just helps the Jazz Session move up the iTunes rankings. Also, there's a radio version of this program, which you'll find at thejazzsession.com. Just click on Radio Edition. It airs Friday mornings from 9 to 11, and you'll find all the information you need to listen to the show at thejazzsession.com. I recently started doing stand-up comedy, and I launched a second podcast to track the results. It's called FirstLaughs.com. Three episodes have happened so far. Uh, The first one has, I think, my very first night as a stand-up. The second one has me doing stand-up in front of an audience that included my parents and my boss. And the third one is called Living and Dying in Central PA. It's the most recent episode. just came out this weekend, if you're listening to this close to its release date, and features a show at which I did well and a show at which I did not do so well. All of that is at firstlaughs.com, and you can subscribe to that show also in iTunes. I've got a blog at jasoncrane.org, and I do PR work for artists of all kinds at cranewrites.com. Drummer Reggie Quinterly has a new album called Invictus. It's named after a famous poem, and it starts this way.
My guest is drummer and composer Reggie Quinterly. He has a new album out called Invictus. It's great to have you on the show, Reggie. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, it seems like uh, at least the place I would like to start is is with your mom, who uh, we have your mom to thank for uh, the title of this album. But from reading uh, what you've written about it and hearing some things you've said about it, 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 it sounds like maybe – uh, we have her to thank for for more than just the title. Will you talk about your mom and how she relates to uh, where this poem gets its title? Well, I mean, she is in many ways she's my my muse, my inspiration. She is the reason why I've pursued this music to this particular level, and um, she has been someone who has uh, I've I've looked to as an anchor in so many situations. So, you know, for everything that I do that's artistic, for everything that I hope to accomplish, her influence is always front of mind. So as it relates to this particular project, I mean, the the words in the poem really kind of deal with overcoming. They can be interpreted that way, but it also really uh, kind of deals with a certain level of expression. And, you know, my mother is somebody who's who has always... Uh, supported me in that way so that's one way that she is and you mentioned the words in the poem but i didn't actually tell the story of the poem so we we talk about what the poem is and and how uh, she caused you to find it you know that i don't know where she i don't know how she got the poem i really don't know i don't know how she found the poem i think that um maybe at some point in time when she was in college she's i'm sure she studied a lot of different um a lot of different poetry, and I know that also with her, some of her, uh, her her Greek affiliations and things like that. I mean, they were a part of some some character building, so that's probably how she came to it. She didn't really explain to me. She never explained to me what the poem meant to her. She just sent me to the library, dropped me off at the library, actually, and made told me to find this this poem. So I'm like, you know, looking in the Dewey Decimal System, you know, at that particular time, and and I find this poem and I copied it and started learning it while I was there. And she picked me up later. And I think she kind of left me to interpret what it, it really meant. So yeah. And the poem that we're talking about is called Invictus. Invictus. Um, yeah, by William Ernest Henley. Yes. And you know, it seems uh, it seems like the that idea of um, not waiting for the next person, of yes. of deciding for yourself when things are going to happen and then making them happen, really informs a lot of what you're doing with your career these days. Is that is that a fair assessment? Very much so. Very much so. I think that we live in a uh, a time where we can create. We can really be in charge of of what we create. Uh, technology has made it so that you know, we can put out our own records and we can uh, utilize the Internet just as much as any big label. So how that translates to, uh, you know, our expression is, you know, you're you're really kind of on your own time clock and it's up to you to be responsible for for what the world hears from you. So I think that that's one of the ways when I think about Invictus and I think about my career and I think about, you know, all the projects that I've been a part of. That's kind of like the central theme is not waiting for the next person and really being the the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. And, and yeah. And does that also lead to 
to being particular about which projects you choose to work on and which people you choose to work with? Definitely. 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 Because, you know, at this point, when you work with someone to be a part of their project and, and to be a part of their process, it, you know, that's time that you could be doing something else. So everything, everything as it relates to time is is very much important because it's, you know, we only have so much of it. And, and so, you know, play with the people that I try to play with the people that I'm really interested in and more than just trying to play with people who I think are better than me, I try to play with people who are more passionate and have just as much passion for music and and expression and life as me. So, yeah, I can remember twenty uh, something years ago when I started out playing music. Somebody saying to me, you know, do everything you can to get on stage with people who can kick your ass, and uh, <laughs> I just always thought that was great advice. I got much better. I want to say something to that because I've been thinking about that lately. Definitely. It's always great to play with people that are better than you and are going to challenge you in ways. But sometimes the people that are better than you can be on autopilot. And, you know, because they, you know, they might not as be as invested in that particular situation. So that's why I always kind of add the whole thing. People that are as passionate about something as you are, because, you know, they could be better than you. But if they're not necessarily interested in your development or you know how they can contribute to that then it's just kind of like well you know i don't know (laughs) yeah no i think that's a really great point i mean i think that's why this is purely my own opinion i'm not speaking for you here but in in my own opinion i think all-star bands often fall flat for that reason that it's great to put a bunch of great players on the stage together for a festival or something but if there's no actual chemistry there or if they're not particularly invested in being there in the moment i think those shows often fall flat Whereas I go to a young a festival and I see a bunch of you know young people who are struggling to make their name, those are usually the shows, in my experience at least, where the fire happens. Yeah, I, I can definitely hear that. But I also think that you know when you deal with musicians of a particular caliber, you know we're almost kind of like uh, we rate them against themselves. It's like an all star team. If you put that, uh, I mean, they're still great. An all star band is still great. That's how they have gotten there. But sometimes they they're not challenged in certain ways, the ways that, you know, maybe a, a particular listener is, is trying to to tune into. But they're there's they're still just as great. I mean, I think about that stuff all the time, different combinations. You know, sometimes bands that have never played together actually sound better than bands that have a certain history because they don't know what the next person is going to do. They're not predisposed to, to understand how a person is going to react to a situation. So. It could go a lot of different ways. And depending on what night you catch the All-Star Band, I mean, you know, it could go either way.
uh, I saw the trailer that you made for this record, and toward the end of it, you made a comment about wanting people to hear this, the songs in this album and not think that a drummer wrote them. Can you say more about what you mean by that? Mm, yeah, I, I guess I was kind of speaking to musicians because we kind of have a, uh, you know, we listen to so much music and we hear so much. I mean, even the uh, who somebody who would be considered, you know, a novice to average musician or a listener, you know, the database of, of music that, that that person has heard is like 20 times more than, than, I don't know, somebody who just listens to the radio every now and again. So, you know, we have these kind of preconceived notions of, okay, it's a drummer's, the drum, going into it, I know that this is the drummer's record. So I'm going to be expecting, you know, five drum solos, and then he's going to take this open vamp over this really cool seven, eight Montuno thing. And then it's going <laughs> to go into, you know, so we, we, we come into it thinking it's with a certain level of expectation. And what I'm in the process of, of trying to convey is that, um, you know, I, I like those things too, but I'm if I'm being my most sincere self right now, I'm I'm uh, trying to develop a more melodic and uh, harmonic sense that that speaks to a certain kind of soulfulness. If that if that makes any sense, it's not so much from the technical; it's more from the like visceral, like the inside. Like how can I how can I show something that reaches you in a different kind of way and and that's what i wanted to that's what i wanted to do with these compositions and so how does that affect what happens when you sit down at the drums to play this music Hmm. um in a way it kind of takes a weight off because i'm not necessarily thinking about i don't have anything to prove you know it's it's my music and it's a part of who i am so you know, I, I feel totally at home. Um, I think that it kind of simplifies my thought process because all I'm really thinking about is just trying to support and not not so much showcase. I think the showcase comes in the support. And that also kind of speaks to some of the, you know, my influences, my musical influences and, you know, and, and the way the, the roles that they played, they really, even though they didn't stand out in a, Sonically, they didn't stand out. They weren't above everybody else. But when I realized just how supportive they were to the to the musical situation, it made me appreciate them that much more. I don't. I just mean this exactly how it sounds. But that's a very mature opinion in my mm. in my view. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank I, mean, you. I, mean, I do I'm, mean it as a compliment. I mean, I, and I think. Uh, I mean, you and I are not that far apart in age, but. Um, but I mean, I, I do think it's a thing. It is nice. It's nice to hear people say I'm willing to, you know, kind of uh, I'm willing to take a to do to serve the music, I guess is where I'm getting at. Definitely. And, and if I could just just come in real quick, because this really kind of speaks to the process when you when I, what I'm finding is when you make the concept bigger than you and it's bigger than the musicians and it's even bigger than whatever you think the impact will be. I mean, Invictus is is about really kind of like you know, ownership of the of of the situation of taking 
control of, you know, life and, and seeing um, and, and, and really kind of finding your role in this thing, then it's not necessarily about me. It's not necessarily about Christian Sands. It's not about Warren Wolf. It's, you know, the weight has been lifted. And also kind of like with Friedman Town, the la- my last record, it's like the overall concept was about kind of showcasing the energy from this particular moment in time in history so it wasn't about me it wasn't about gerald clayton it wasn't about tim warfield so we were able to kind of remove ourselves and really be a part of the creative process with no judgment on how we as individuals sounded you know you strike me as someone who is very uh, very rooted not just in musical tradition but in your own tradition in your own both family tradition and, and in the the history of the place where you're from and uh, I mean, your last album, as you as you just mentioned, um, music inspired by Friedmantown is about the neighborhood in Houston uh, where you grew up. And this record, I mean, it has overt tributes on it, like uh, Lester Grant, but it also it just it just feels very much like it comes out of your your life story and the story of people who came before you. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think that those those parts are part of our, our DNA. They're part of they those experiences are what make us really unique because after a certain sense or in a certain sense we you know go to music schools and we experience those same thing with a lot of other people you know you, we plan combos with people you know we we do gigs with with people and we're all a part of this scene but the things that really make us unique are our upbringing so i think that I'm I'm learning to when we tap into our roots, you know, that's the foundation. Those are the things that really allow us to build. But those formidable years are are, are things that are very personal to us. And and when that's a part of your story, uh then you don't really have to worry so much about finding your voice because nobody has really lived that experience the way that you have. When you play this music for audiences, do you tell any of those stories? Do you give them some of that context? I try to. I try to. I try to. I, I try to explain some of the things. I mean, you know, at the same time, I I want them to experience it as well. Because, you know, sometimes if you make things too concrete, then, you know, they might interpret it, you know, which – can it can go both ways it can be a good thing and it could also be a bad thing i mean if i explain to them what um you know nimzo indian means to me which is a song on my record you know then they they might interpret it at face value from what i'm saying but if i don't say everything if i don't break it down to its you know lowest form of inspiration and stuff like that then when they hear it they might think oh wow this reminds me of, um, I don't know, this reminds me of a landscape or this reminds me of, you know, a time when I was happy. So I want to have them, you know, also have the experience how, however they choose to, you know, how it comes to them. You just mentioned the piece uh, Nimzo Indian, which is a phrase I had never heard before, um, before this record came in the mail. And, uh, you know, I looked it up to figure out what it meant, but will you tell us what it means? <laughs> Well, it's a uh, it's a it's a maneuver in chess. It, you know, kind of deals with the with the opening and and um, I wrote this 
I wrote this song and it just kind of, it had like some of the intervals in it. It was just a little different. It wasn't really any like anything that I had written, the intervals. And I was, you know, searching online and, and somehow or another I came across that, this phrase and I was pretty uh, into learning more about it and finding out, you know, the chess, the chess grandmaster who developed this, uh, this, this technique. And, you know, I, I, from there, I just started learning more about where he came from and Latvia and, and how chess is really big in those regions. And it just kind of became a whole thing, but it, 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 it really kind of just started from hearing something that was just a little bit different. And, and sometimes I'm like, okay, well, if this melody sounds different, what more can I find that will kind of convey a, a, a different kind of title? The band on this record is is really wonderful. Warren Wolf on vibes, Yotam Silverstein on guitar, Christian Sands on piano, Alan Hampton on the bass. Why this particular instrumentation, which isn't isn't really really common, the kind of vibes guitar piano idea? Um. Well, after my last record, I I started listening to some. I started checking out some more music, and I, what I've learned is that sometimes the the space in between projects isn't so much about like raising money or, you know, composing and well, composing is definitely a big part of it, but I think is allowing yourself to check out as much music as possible and see what direction you might go into. So after a little bit after I finished the last record, I started listening to, uh, I, I came across, uh, George Shearing and, uh, George Shearing and the Montgomery brothers, that record in particular, um, I really like the texture because there's a very a special uh, a very unique quality about the way that the vibes and the guitar blend and then when you have a pianist that is sensible enough to to not get in the way and contribute in a in a very uh 
delicate way. And I think that that was really done well on that album. And I listened to a lot of other Montgomery Brother records and I wanted to try to try to experiment with that sound. So, you know, from there, it was just like, well, Warren Wolfen, uh, you know, I've known Warren Wolf for a while and we knew we wanted to do something together. So from there, it just, you know, added in the other pieces. And uh, I was really pleased with the results. And there's a lot of percussiveness on this record. I mean, every, you know, every instrument on it is plucked or struck in some way. Uh, it, what, did you have to be fairly creative in the arranging to to kind of leave some space and to figure out how to make all these pieces click together? Well, that, I think that also kind of came in the in the personnel. Um, you know, it takes a certain level of maturity to play with other chordal instruments and leave space. So I wanted to find some musicians who I think uh, embodied a, a certain uh, characteristic. They could play the soulful things and, and and stuff the way that I wanted, but then they had enough they had enough musicianship to let somebody else lead or follow or you know or know when to know when to uh, fill and also when to wait and react. So it it was really an experience, but when I when you get the right people, it makes the whole it makes the whole process easier. We uh, we mentioned briefly, uh, or I mentioned briefly, Lester Grant. Will you tell us uh, who he was? Lester Grant was a great drummer who was originally from the Houston area. He was my first drum teacher, and in addition to uh, <laughs> being the first person who I ever saw play the drums. As I started to study with him, he really uh, exhibited an immense uh, amount of patience. I, I think about it as I get older. You know, you had uh, somebody who was in their, at the time, who was in their 60s teaching beginner drums to a seven-year-old. You know, it takes a lot of patience. <laughs> to even sit with somebody long enough to show them anything, but to have that kind of uh, dedication to me as I as I got older and, you know, as he since passed away, it, I'm, you know, I, and I revisit that that whole interaction. I'm, I'm really blown away. But he was a great drummer who was a part of the the Houston jazz scene. And he also was a studio musician at uh, one of the. Yeah, the well-known um, studios down there in the '60s and the '70s, and you know, when I when I just think think back on his overall influence, I'm I'm more than a you know appreciative of the time that we spent together.
Uh, Alan Hampton plays bass on this record, who uh, I, I just think is an extremely talented musician, both in this way and as a, a singer-songwriter. And uh, you guys go back quite a long way, isn't that right? Yes, we went to high school together. And, uh, I mean, he would probably tell this story better than me, but actually one of his first, he, so he tells me, I don't know, he could have been just, you know, saying something, but one of his kind of first paying gigs was was with me it was uh it was for like a teen presentation i was like a a crown the it was like a debutante kind of thing (laughs) at any rate uh you know for the talents for the talent part of it i had a group come out and we played some numbers and, and all of the other teens were just like, wow, that's amazing. At any rate, Alan Hampton was the bass player that I uh, that I had in there. And he's, he's, you know, he's gone on to do some amazing things. And what I most appreciate about Alan Hampton is his warm spirit. He is a very, uh, very he's a pleasure to be around. And and uh, as a musician, he's just kind of like a sponge because he picks up picks up everything in a good way. People always say the bass and drums have a special relationship. I guess A, is that true? And B, will you say something about it if it is? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because I feel like the the beat, well, each musician is, you know, the beat resides in w- within them. But I think the bass and the drums, that's like the uh, the foundation. Not in a bad way, because, you know, Ron Carter, he, you know, the great bassist, he might say, you know, don't relegate me to the foundation. Like, I am I can move up to the top. I can be play pretty. I can do all of these things. We're all floating in here together. But I, I, I mean, you know, in the sense that we keep it together. We don't weigh anything down because we're not an anchor in that sense. But we, we come together. So I guess we're kind of like elements. And uh, yeah, if the bass and the drums are not are not happening, then you it doesn't matter what else is going on. That 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 relationship is crucial. And yeah, some of the best records, uh, you know, the the bass player and the drummer are like the the crux of that uh that combination. And is it possible for two people who are both, you know, each good at their own instrument on bass and on drums to still not have whatever that connection is? Yeah, I mean, if they're if they're if the the way they interpret the beat is not the same, I mean, there are just as many examples of of great musicians coming together, and the results are a little less than spectacular because you know the way that they're interpreting the beat or, or the way that they're feeling it is is not the same. It doesn't doesn't have the best results, but I mean, you know, all of that is. It's like a it's like a process. So it's, it's like a combination of, uh, like I say, of, of elements. It doesn't mean that that person is is less good or, or that person doesn't have anything to say because they don't they don't gel. And sometimes you have to put them together to see that they don't work. So it's really like a process.
right in the middle of this record is its one standard, which is My Blue Heaven. Uh, how did that end up there? How did you choose My Blue Heaven from the thousands of possible standards you could have chosen? Well, our same thing. Around the time that I was listening to the George Sharing and uh, and and the Montgomery Brothers, I had found um, I had stumbled across. Uh, Mary Lou Williams, a Mary Lou Williams record in the library, and I had never heard of who she was, and I, I didn't really have any idea, but I, I listened to that record, and on that record, it was a Zodiac Suite, and then from there, I looked up and saw that there had been a, uh, a biography written about her, so I, you know, ordered that and read into it, and then I found another record, and, you know, maybe came across maybe two or three other more other records and on one of the records she plays my blue heaven and it's very similar to how we do on, on the on the on the uh on the record it's the same kind of feel and on the bridge it goes to swing but she when she when i heard her version it really touched something inside me because i, I it was almost i almost felt embarrassed that i had never heard her music or or her playing before and I'd listened to that record so much, so many times, and that song in particular, that when I uh, when I was gonna record something, I knew that I had to do it. And it's a you know it's a standard that you don't hear too much. You know I've heard it before, but when when I heard her version of it, I was just like, well, this is too hip. Got to do something with it. Is there something you can put into words ab about what it is about Mary Lou Williams that that really grabbed you? I mean, musically, she was she was amazing. Her touch was was great. She had a, a understanding of the instrument that I really respect. And then also when we look at the the bigger picture of who she was. Uh, it was like she's like a musician's musician. She's somebody that was respected by some of the greatest musicians of her day. So, you know, the people like Miles Davis and the people like Tad Dameron and the people like Duke Ellington and Benny Goodman, they all held her in, in a high esteem. And when the Giants put somebody else on the pedestal like that, you know, then then you know that there's something there. But uh, for whatever reason, um, she wasn't necessarily, in my opinion, she wasn't recognized to the uh, to the extent that she should have been. So I was really kind of intrigued by that. And, um, you know, that's one of the another reason why I wanted to get more into her music, because she's I think she's an essential figure in this music.
So this record comes out uh, in about a week or so on uh, on March 17th. And then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's at least one New York show uh, for the CD release, right? Yes. On the 25th, we'll be at Smoke uh, Jazz Supper Jazz Club on the Upper West Side. And we will be playing selections from the new CD. And what does 2015 look like for you? Do you have a do you have a picture of what this year might look like musically speaking, both uh, as a leader uh, and as a sideman? Well, there'll definitely be some other opportunities where I'll be playing music uh, from this recording. You know, those dates are still kind of coming together, and I mean the the process of of writing music continues. So I'm already listening for the you know the the next sound that's going to grab my ear but more than that you know just collaborating with other musicians and and finding uh finding ways to get better on my instrument well the album is is really wonderful it's called Invictus it's by my guest Reggie Quinterly uh, Reggie what a pleasure to uh to meet you here on the air and uh, to talk to you about this record i wish you every success and i hope you'll come back thank you very much thank you for the opportunity and uh we appreciate all of the listeners That's music from drummer Reggie Quinterly and his new album, Invictus. Thanks to Reggie for being on the show and to the Respect Sextet for providing the theme music. Thanks also to Dave Rabel for the logo and to all of you for supporting The Jazz Session. You'll find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash thejazzsession. You'll find me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. And don't forget to check out my stand-up comedy at firstlaughs.com and my PR work for artists and musicians at cranerights.com. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye.